A vision without execution is just a dream. Welcome to Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. Like the show title says, Chris speaks with transformative experts and business leaders who share their successes, failures, and leadership tips that will help you transform your business into a success story. Now, here's your host, Chris Elias. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Transformative Experts. Today, I have Debbie Yadagari with us. Debbie is, um, well, she's a mother of five, which in my world means she's, she's, she's busy in multiple fronts. Um, started her, her professional life as an investment banking lawyer and now has, has started an organization that is transforming HR for, for companies, especially you know, as we think about how families um, are, you know, are in this world and what people need to do. And so um, Debbie's got a great story. I, I can't wait to get started. Good morning, Debbie. How are you? I'm great, Chris. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. So you are the founder and CEO of a, of a company called Village, V-I-L-L-Y-G-E, in case anybody wants to look it up. Um, it, it, I Just one of the things that struck me, sometimes there's a story for the, the alternate spellings. Is there a story behind the Y in Village? Uh, well, Y absolutely starts for Yadagari, stands for Yadagari. Uh, and, you know, just to go back to the basics, village.com spelled in the regular traditional way was not available. Yeah. And so, you know, like most companies play on words when you're trying to get your social handles and website and all of that and village with a Y. It just, it seemed to fit and we love it. It's really cool. It's a great website. But, um, you know, before before we really dive into what you guys are doing and how you got there, and obviously, you know, the the listeners are always really curious about about your path. I mean, you started down this path of law and, and, and kind of made a major change. Um, would you share your story with us? I'd love to hear, you know, the life story as we say it. How did you get into law? What, what decided you to get there? And what was it that created the desire to do something different? Wow. So what made me decide to go into law? Um, So you mentioned I'm a working mom of five. Take a step back. I'm also an only child. So I grew up um, in a little bit of a tough situation to summarize it. I didn't have the happiest upbringing. And I think that is absolutely what drove me to the field of law initially was I wanted to be a change maker from the time that I was a little girl. Fast forward through, you know, many, many, many student loans, uh, which I'm sure many in the audience can relate to. I found myself uh, interested in corporate law. Uh, At the very young age of, you know, 22, when I was going off to law school, I had already majored in economics and political science. And I had my eyes set on securities law. At that time, I was still interested in changing the world, but realized I needed to pay back those student loans, finance law school and make a living. Um, And I'm happy to say that I've kept to my original values. I'm still all about giving back along with my children and my family. And I have absolutely taken my early years and my early experience in big law and investment banking to pivot to a company that's doing that now. But I started my career in big law. Um, It was great. I learned a ton, uh, did what a lot of corporate lawyers do and made that big jump in-house to an investment bank. Now, for lawyers, that's usually considered the holy grail because your work life goes from working maybe 20 out of 24 hours a day to 12 hours a day. Uh, So I absolutely uh, improved my work uh, life balance when I moved in-house, which is funny to think about, you know, a 60-hour work week as being an improvement, but it was. We used, and, to, uh, we used to joke about, you know, working half days, that's 12 hours. Completely. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's hysterical. Days. Exactly. And it was great. And so when I made this move from big law to investment banking, uh, you know, there was a lot of emphasis placed on my recruitment. Uh, It was a time when the markets were hot. Uh, My law firm was super excited about me going in house, maybe, you know, becoming the client for them. The investment bank that was recruiting me threw lots of dollars at me. They paid out my my bonus. They invested dollars in my uh, my development. But it was there that I became pregnant. Uh, And it was the very start of my journey as a working parent. And the second that happened, it became all of this energy around my development. It kind of like it was like a pin dropped. It just the floor fell out from under me. And what I later realized was that I had great, a great team and well-intentioned managers, 
but they didn't know how to support me as a working mom. And when fast forward, I ended up leaving my employer uh, six months postpartum. And when I did a little bit more digging, I learned that 41% of working parents leave their employers post baby. 33% of working dads leave their employers post baby. Wow. That's huge. That is a huge thing. It's huge. And what, you know, I think there's this um, false belief that people are jumping ship because they want to be stay at home moms. But when you bring in that statistic of dads, 33% and moms too, what we're realizing is many just jump ship to other employers, employers that they believe to be more parent friendly, more family friendly, more accommodating than the half day work schedule of 12 hours a day. And that was my own personal experience. And I also knew that I was well positioned to make a change. So my early days of wanting to be a change maker, um, it didn't quite happen by through law as a vehicle. But later on, I went to uh, develop Village, which is a B2B platform that support that works with corporations and large companies to support their working families. And we do this by connecting employees one-on-one with experts who can assist them with everything, preconception to college plus elder care. So think of it as connecting them with career coaches, sleep experts, lactation consultants, any of the issues that working parents uh, are faced with, Village can help. On the other side, the side that you and I are going to be talking about is really how do you transform culture is we work with managers to empower them on how to know how to handle the individual journey of the working parent on their team. So, for instance, if somebody is entering down the path of surrogacy, we are going to coach the manager on what they can expect. Some things that managers might not realize, you know, most of the time when some when an employee is entering the surrogacy journey, they're going to have to travel. They're going to have to meet with the surrogate and choose a surrogate that most likely is out of state. They're going to need to travel for those big doctor's appointments. They're going to want to be there at the 20 week checkup at birth. They might need to take leave prior to the actual delivery date because they want to be there for the delivery, right? They don't want to miss it. That's their child, their baby. And these are things that managers might not recognize. They may not realize that to initiate the surrogacy process, oftentimes the employee themselves has to go through IVF to start that journey, which requires doctor's appointments, um, you know, hormones, mood shifts. Uh, The timing needs to coincide with a flexible work schedule. And so when the manager doesn't have the background and understanding of the journey that the employee is going through, that's where there's friction. So surrogacy is just one example, but we help managers remove the the employee employer friction throughout all of the journeys that their employees and team members face from fertility to adoption, to getting married, to experiencing loss, handling elder care. We, we like to say that it's like having an HR manager sitting on every, I'm sorry, an HR leader sitting on every manager's shoulder, telling them what they should be doing, what they should be saying when, providing them with talking points, um, just background knowledge and information to empower them to bring empathy to the situation. And as you well know, it's empathy that can really drive a culture. And as we move forward out of the pandemic, the conversations are moving from, you know, how are we going to retain employees, uh, just the basics of throwing bonuses at them, as to like, how are we truly going to change the culture? And it starts with managers. People don't leave jobs. They don't leave companies. They leave the human beings that they are directly reporting to on a daily basis. That is uh, no truer words have ever been said. I, it's and, and it's amazing how many companies I work with that don't seem to kind of at least understand that at the beginning. They are not leaving work when they go somewhere else. Okay. If, 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 if it's an astronomical amount of money, maybe, but, but, you know, there've been all kinds of statistics that show money is not the reason for the, the, the drop. And, and we have to also take a look that the workplace has, has changed. Um, I was listening to something on the radio the other day and they were talking about the days of, you know, Mad Men, you know, the, the TV series. I've never actually watched it more than a couple of minutes, but, but, you know, there was a day that, um, let's face it in the business place, considerations for families weren't there. You had two lives. You had your work life and you had your personal life and never shall they ever meet. That's not the case anymore. 
Yes. And that's been one of the greatest outcomes of COVID is seeing the chaos in people's personal lives in the background of Zoom. I used to always talk about how employers have both an ethical duty as well as a financial incentive to support their working families. Why? Since the dawn of the BlackBerry, we have insisted that our employees be available to us during family time. After that time, we've traded their work hat for their family hat and gone home, whereas you're not allowed to bring that same, you know, parenting hat to the proverbial office. So there was this like shift where there were two separate worlds, but then the work world started to creep into the personal world. And with COVID, the personal world absolutely got thrown into, um, you know, the work world in a full under a full spotlight. And now finally, we're at a great position where we have the opportunity to really, um, you know, make meaningful change, transformative change that's going to catapult our businesses to the next level. You know, everybody works different. One person on my team I talk to in the early morning hours at 8 a.m. Another person on my team I talk to in the evening hours, sometimes at 10 p.m. after both of our kids, all of our kids are in bed. And we're able to you know, work with our team members when it's best for them, when they personally are able to give their all and be the most productive. And we're also able to open up um, the ability for us to become our full selves during the workday, whether it's, you know, because we have to pick up our kids after school or because we're a marathon runner who really wants to fit in those extra hours and runs during light hours, as opposed to, you know, when it's dark before, you know, Yeah, you know, after work or before work. So it's an amazing opportunity for employers and managers to think about uh, what they want to drive forward. Well, yes, I I agree 100%. And I'm actually now watching with some of my clients and, and really actually not even, I think my clients are pretty progressive. I mean, I've been fortunate, but, but I've, I've got friends at other companies and I'm hearing the stories and, and it's kind of like, even though COVID's not over, it's like, well, COVID's over. We want everybody back in the office. It's, it's, it's almost like, yeah, they learned how to do this in the last 18 months. Now they want to go back to the old way. Are, are you bumping into any of that in your work? I am. I absolutely am. And it, it's more prevalent in certain industries. Finance, yeah. for instance, is one. Uh, finance traditionally is also a place that, uh, no offense, Chris, is run by a lot of old white men, you know? Yeah. No, and, true. And so when you're looking at startups or tech companies, I think they're a little that are run by younger millennials. I think they're more up to speed with what is what the needs are for today's generation of worker. And I think it's two, two to three years. I can't, I'm a little bit lost in the stat right now. In either two or three years, 75% of the workforce is going to consist of millennials. That's right. So millennials want remote work options. They want flexibility. So if you're looking at those industries that are not necessarily being run by millennials today, um, that's where the friction is occurring. And that's where you're saying, you know, we're hearing, uh, you know, like Mr. Diamond telling all of his employees that they need to be back in the office. And that is where there's like friction happening. And that's why we're experiencing the great resignation now as employees are starting to jump ship Mm -hmm. and, you know, the older generation of bosses are like, wait, 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 we can actually talk about flexibility. So I think that there is still some movement there. So yes, while we still hear it, yeah, you know, certain bosses are saying get back in the office. I don't think that's the final word. And also as we move forward with Delta and the variants and we're moving into winter when people are going to be inside, I think, um, you know, the jury is still out as to whether we can really call it a soft close to COVID. Yeah, it's. I, I think we got a long way to go from that standpoint. And, um, you know, I, I think that companies are learning and trying to figure out there, there's a, a change in mentality that has to has to happen, though, with with a work from home um, workforce. And, and it's it's you know, you have to shift your thinking. You know, we, we often coach companies. We say you got to change your thinking from you're not paying for time. Mm-hmm. You're paying for you're paying for work. You're paying for effort. You're paying for performance, right? If you've got clear metrics and measurements, and you know how to measure somebody's success, you know my my whole 
my whole philosophy is, is I really don't care if they work, you know, eight to five or whatever, you know, now that's with the, you know, if they've got a man, a phone, if they've got a customer service job and they've got to be on for some hours, that's a little bit of a different story. But generally speaking, you know, at the end of the day, somebody who works for me, if they're getting the job done and they're generating value for my organization, why do I care what the hours are? Right. Now, you know, shame on me if I don't have a way of, of looking at it and measuring the performance and all that. But most people want to do a good job. Most people want to live a good life. And, and, and though the millennials are driving this, I'm actually finding that even some of the Gen Xers um, are in that boat. I'm, I'm in that boat. I was just uh, at, a, at a gathering the other night and, um, and I was talking to a guy who's the head of um, purchasing for a very, very large um, company that they do all the private label work for a bunch of really big name brands. And I, I, I can't, for confidentiality, I can't go into the details of it. And um, during the pandemic, he moved, he moved down here in my neighborhood. That's how I met him. Well, they just told him last week that they're going back to live. He has to come back up to New York full time. He said, no. They said, what? He said, no. He said, I've, I've moved. I'm somewhere else. And a lot of my clients have, have found that people have moved. He said, I can do this work remotely. I don't mind coming to the office maybe once a month and just checking in with people and, you know, tell, you know, commuting once in a while that way. But you, you know, if you want me, you know, you're going to have to do this. And of course they couldn't afford to lose him. He's a key role. You're going to make it work, but it's sad that they have to force it. Uh, We're already up on our first break. So let's, um, let's, let's take a quick pause here. um, And we'll be back in, in just one minute. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. True results happen where culture meets execution. The Execution Culture, co-written by our host, Chris Elias, is designed to make your company smarter, faster, and stronger by sharing real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture. The book is available now on Amazon. Click the link on the show page. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Mexicute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. For a free consultation with Chris Elias, visit nexecutegroup.com. That's N-E-X-E-C-U-T-E group.com. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back with Debbie Adegari. So Debbie, before the break, we, we had started to talk about this shift in culture and, and, um, and the needs of what's happening. Millennials are certainly driving a lot of this. Um, it's been a long time coming, but how are you overcoming some of the resistance with your clients to the cultural changes that are needed now that we're able to work remotely and, and some of these other considerations? <laughs> It's all about education. That's where we uh, we provide our expertise. We are in the ear of HR leaders who sometimes don't have 100% control of the situation. You know, depending on the organization, uh, some of the cultural calls are made by the head of HR and other times they have, you know, we're providing our input to HR and HR is providing their input to the CEO. So it really depends. But what we do is empower their working parents and the managers of their working parents to exactly like you said, you know, outline the KPIs, outline the goals, do not emphasize the time in the seat, really focus on the organizational goals to measure people's success. And you can hold people accountable, but just make sure it's not accountable for those hours. And 
I, I think it's a matter of demonstration. When we provide our utilization reports and we show our in our clients, the employers who we work for, you know, who we're able to assist and they're able to step back and really look at their attrition rates and be like, wow, you know, we have one client who's also an investment bank uh, and can't stray too far from my roots. And they have been so pleased with the retention of their senior female staff throughout the recession. As we know, uh, women have been hard hit during the pandemic and this company has not lost any of their senior female leadership and that is just amazing for them and so that is a company that is absolutely um in the know and they're able to look at the stats to be like okay you know this is working we're producing we don't have to spend our energy elsewhere replacing employees it's worth it to give employees what they want with resources such as village we're able to uh you know help our working parents and our working families which you know is often 50 percent of any organization it's not as if we're helping a tiny little niche within the company it's it's a large swath of, of any employer's population we're able to help everybody achieve their goals. And that's what Village is all about. It's making it the win-win. So how do we change culture? We put it in, we frame it in the win-win, how the employer, how the company is going to um, do better, how they're going to produce more, how they're going to reduce attrition, how at the end of the year, is it going to affect their bottom line if they require everybody to return to the office or if they permit flexibility. Uh, And I think it's going to be a slow transition for some, but I'm happy to say that I'm very proud of our clients and they're moving in the perfect direction. Well, and I, I think you're, you're touching on something that's really important for, you know, a, a lot of listeners too. You, you know, so we have a lot of business leaders and the first thing they're going to, they're going to look at is, is, okay, so this all sounds great, but we're just, you know, you're just telling us to give away the show again. You know, we just have to keep giving up. We give more, give more, give more. And, you know, it's, it's, you're not really, you're not giving anything away. I, to me, I always think of this more investment mentality, you know, um, in the last year, I can't, I can't believe how many times I've seen people just, you know, throwing money at the solution, right? You know, you know, we'll, we'll give the person another raise. We'll, we'll give them a bonus. It's, but these, these, these life issues are often way more important for people. And there are hard numbers, not soft number. There are hard numbers to what these these quote unquote costs actually really generate, um, you know, one of the statistics on your website is um, three million dollars in annual savings for the average client that you guys work with. I know you're working with bigger customers, but um, could you maybe provide a little bit more of, of the hard data on how much is actually saved? What is the cost of one turnover if if you lose a person on your team because of an issue like this? Sure. Uh- the average turnover costs are anywhere between 50% to 300% of an employee salary, depending on their level of seniority. Uh, it is more costly, the more senior the employee. And so if you have somebody who's earning $100,000 and it's going to cost you $300,000 to retain them, think about how much providing them with the support of village or offering them a little bit of flexibility is going to provide, you know, that's the equivalent of if you have to replace them, you know, hiring three people, let's say, and still getting the work of just one. Mm-hmm. And so when we calculate our, our, the ROI of village, we look at it, we look at the average birth rate within a company. We look at the average salary within a company. We calculate the average retention rate with village versus without any family support. And then we also calculate the productivity rate. Uh, Economists have calculated that it costs 34 cents on every dollar when an employee is distracted. Employees have been very distracted uh, during the pandemic. And so if we can provide the supports that they are asking for and requiring right now, that can be an incredible boost to our bottom line immediately. So that is how we think about the ROI. And it is so important for leaders of all companies to think about, um, you know, some of those freebies that they can give. Flexibility is such an easy one. And it comes down to what you're saying. You know, shame on them if they're not able to hold employees accountable. I think that's what it comes down to. Too many managers are not skilled in how to set KPIs and how to backtrack and look at metrics. 
the only metric they've ever had is somebody, you know, in the office nine to five. I've spoken to so many employees who have talked about how much more productive they are being home because they don't, you know, in every office, there's that one person, right? Who's going to come by your office, come by your cubicle and just start talking. And sometimes it's like 30 minutes, 40 minutes before you know it. Then there's coffee breaks, there's lunch breaks. People are working more than ever now, but at the same time, they're balancing more than ever. So I think there's also a cultural shift um, that's happening in the workplace, but individually, we're all going through our own cultural shift also in trying to define our boundaries and what's appropriate. Mm-hmm. Is it okay to to kick off at four if I woke up and started working at 6 a.m.? You know, oh no, what if somebody pings me? You know, is it going to look bad that, you know, my Zoom has a tree in the background as opposed to my home office? So I think we're in addition to KPIs and trying to figure out all of that, managers are also trying to figure out what's appropriate and what's okay. Uh, what does a work and trying to define that workday? What does the workday mean? And it would behoove organizations to take all of the training that Village provides, that you're providing, and really absorb that in a very fast manner right now. And they're going to see an incredible impact to their bottom line going forward. They're going to attract better talents. They're going to attract, um, they're going to increase employee loyalty. And with the offering of flexibility at so many shops these days, there's competition uh, for top employees and it is the employees that are absolutely holding the Trump card and they're able to decide and call the shots and employers who don't get on board are going to lose out. Yeah. And that's not going to change by the way. I, you know, I, there, there are some statistics that show that um, well, you know, a lot of people were paid to, to stay at home. They made more money staying at home. And so, so there was kind of a reduction in, in available workforce, but that's mostly in the trenches. That's not at the executive level. That's not at the management level. And, and whereas we will see a rebound in the cost of employment, maybe go down a little bit for what I call, let's say call it frontline or first level people in organizations. The other part of it is, is, shifting at the upper and the management level. I mean, you do have people aging out. You have a large workforce. You know, the baby boomers are are mostly kind of moved into retirement, largest group of people we've had in this country. And there are there are more businesses than ever, but less leadership level people available. And that is just not going to change. We have to find a way to to do this. You had made a, a comment about the increased productivity, and I've heard a lot of the same commentary People feel more productive. And, and as kind of one economist to another, also by training, um, have you seen any statistics on the increase of productivity for people working at home versus, you know, being distracted? I have, but I've seen it through the gender lens. Sure. So when we look at something like professors, which are uh, asked to publish often, we've seen that male professors without caregiving responsibilities have has been publishing at two to three times the rate as female professors with uh, home responsibilities and family care. Uh, and you know, so that's if you carry that over to the workplace. What are employers going to do to even the playing field Mm -hmm. and allow all of their employees to perform to the best of their abilities? And of course, you know, some of those stats came out of the pandemic when childcare was limited and the default parent typically becomes the mother, not always, but still socially, it's more acceptable for the mom to be the, uh, the default parent. How are employers who, you know, we know that, there are more female graduates coming out of universities mm-hmm. than male, right? There are lots of females coming up through the ranks, but it's it's this intersection of family life and career life that oftentimes halts the career of the female. And when we're already, as you said, you know, lacking top leadership, yeah. we cannot cut out, you know, half of our population. We have to continue to think about what um, what supports we can put in place to just support the family unit as a whole, whoever the default parent happens to be. It's it's changing. There are a lot of changes. As you were saying, the baby boomer, 
baby boomers are stepping out of the generation and they have a lot of leadership experience. But what I find very interesting is they're unable to pass the buck because mm-hmm. it's a new work world today than what they were dealing with. Yeah. And you know, while some of those lessons can absolutely be passed on, together, collectively, we're kind of writing a new book for what leaders need to know and do moving forward. And it absolutely, that book has to, um, you know, encompass care for families. As you said, you know, the boundaries do not no longer exist between family life and work life. And while not everybody may be a parent themselves, a majority of your employees 80% or more are going to be dealing with some sort of caregiving issue, whether it's elder care or child care. And we have to start supporting our employees in a way that will allow them to attain both their uh, personal family goals as well as professional success. And that is what's going to increase productivity and level the playing field for everybody when we provide the supports for all employees within an organization. Yeah, I think the key point though is is that that these are things that again back to, you know, whether it's whether somebody if somebody has a cost mentality on this, they're missing out on the point of the reward that's on the other side. You know, yes. giving people the ability to be more productive, to 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 have more freedom in what they do still holding people accountable as we said there there is a there's a huge positive impact on that i i saw um i actually saw uh, a a young man that was in an organization that, that we were working with um guy was an a player and you know he they had um their second child during the course of the pandemic and you know absolutely at home and he and you know his wife had a really good job and he had a really good job and um you know, they would find ways to take take turns because they had a baby that one would watch the baby, no child care, obviously, and and the other would work and invite and they traded back and forth. Well, his organization was less flexible to that. And so mm-hmm. what happens? They lost an A player. I mean, you know, he after really trying and figure it out and, you know, the demands and all that stuff. And it was very old school thinking. Um and this, I don't want to say poor guy, I've stayed in contact with him. He actually landed at a great place. He improved his life, but the company he left suffered as a result of it. Um, so how, uh, well, oh boy. We're, we're, short-term thinking. Yeah, it's absolutely short-term thinking. You know, babies are not babies forever. Dealing with a pandemic without child care is not forever. And the cost of replacing an employee is so high, it's sad it's and a loss for the employer. Yeah, and and we're coming up on the next break here in a minute. So I, I I'm going to probably hold this question till we come back because it's I don't think it's a one minute answer, but it's a paradigm shift, and and that's that's the other part that you're talking about is um, though the millennials are desiring this and asking for, you know, as you know, we have leaders who are stuck in old ways. The, yes. the 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 average workplace in in the United States, um, actually North America, because I've got friends in Canada. We've talked about this. Don't think in these terms yet. You know, a startup company might, a tech company. You know, these all young companies, different story. But I've even heard horror stories with some of these these tech companies where you know, the 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 person who started the company has created no life for themselves to get things going, and they just expect everybody else to be that way, and they don't. They again don't give the flexibility in terms. We do have some very, very old models that we need to, to get through. So here's what we're going to do. Let's take a quick break um, while we're, we're kind of at that point in the segment. And um, let's come back and dive into that topic. So stay tuned, everyone. We'll be back in just one minute. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. True results happen where culture meets execution. The Execution Culture, co-written by our host, Chris Elias, is designed to make your company smarter, faster, and stronger by sharing real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. It's time to transform your business with the help of The Execution Culture. The book is available now on Amazon. Click the link on the show page. 
Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Mexicute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. For a free consultation with Chris Elias, visit nexecutegroup.com. That's N-E-X-E-C-U-T-E group.com. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back one last time with Debbie Adegari. Um, so just before the break, we were talking about this um, this kind of this, this old school thinking. And sometimes breaking those norms are very, very difficult. When you go in to consult and you're working... Obviously, if you're being brought in, somebody somewhere in the company has identified there's a problem that needs to be solved. There, there are people that need to be trained. There's, 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 there's a shift in culture that must occur. What's your starting point? How do you get people into this? And how do you even get maybe some of these people who are really stuck in old school thinking to start listening? So... HR is our point of sale. And that's usually an easy contact, right? Yeah. They're people, they love it, they get it, they're all about improving culture, easy in. They need to take it and get sign off from whoever is writing the check within the company. Then it comes down to the ROI. And we're able to design models and scenarios that are customized to the company that can prove the ROI of Village. Then we get in and we start working with managers. Now, study after study will show, you know, nobody says, I want to be the bad manager, right? They all managers are hungry for information and guidance. They want to be loved. They want to be the best leader that they can be. So the reception is actually incredible once we get in the door. And they are so thankful for the guidance on how they can be better team members. Uh, Because we do, as you said before, there's this, this paradigm change where we're starting to see people come up through the ranks. And oftentimes they're coming up through the ranks and being promoted because they're great salespeople, they're great engineers, they're great um, widget makers, not necessarily because they know how to run teams and lead people and understand the different personal plights of their team members. So when Village can come in and help develop some of those softer skills that influences diversity and equity and inclusion and support for caregivers within an organization, the reception has been great. And then that feedback flips back to HR and we have yet to lose a client ever because of disinterest. It's always been someone who's gone out of business. Um, The budget isn't there because they were a startup and it was a pandemic or what have you. But or there was a merger, but there has been zero churn from anybody saying, you know what, this village model is just not for us. Our managers are not interested in learning how to take care of their caregivers, and our caregivers are not interested in receiving a helping hand. It doesn't exist. You know, something that we started to talk about earlier, um, I got off the point, is, you know, there is such a divide between the generations in the workforce. And when you mentioned the gentleman who's a friend of yours who was sharing the caregiving situation and ended up leaving and jumping ship and finding an employer who actually understood and cared about him and provided you know, what he needed uh, in a career, um, it's very interesting. Today's generation of working parents, the millennials, it's 50-50, right? Yeah. The job... You were saying that before. They literally split it, you know, two hours my turn, two hours your turn. And that's what we're seeing as well. Generation back, baby boomers, even some of Gen X, it's not so 50-50. You know, you started uh, the intro mentioning that I have five children. My oldest is going to be, is 16 and a half. My youngest is four. Mm -hmm. So I've been able to 
watch parents of, you know, the teenagers and the college kids and see how they interact with their children. I've been able to, you know, look at how the toddlers today are being raised and the parenting is drastically different, drastically different. So when you move that into the workplace and look at how working parents that are just, you know, maybe have less than 20 years of a spread between their kids, their expectations are different. And what you have sometimes is friction between working fathers and their managers. And so now there is a cultural shift that it's, you know, where working dads as well as working moms are saying we need more and managers and HR and decision makers and the people writing the checks are starting to listen and opening up saying, okay, this isn't just a working mom issue. This is actually an organizational issue. We must do something. We must enact change. And so we've actually been brought in to do a lot of leadership training on generational differences, you know, advising, you know, those baby boomers are on the way out, what the needs are of today's working dads and coaching them on, you know, the expectations of today's working parents, whether they are be female or male. Um, it's very interesting. And also to go back to another point, you asked about uh, if there are any studies about productivity, there are certain countries who have you know, teetered with moving to a four day work week. And what they have seen is that productivity remains the same. I think all of us, you know, all of us have been in that situation where we're under a deadline. We have three hours to do. We check our to do something. We check our tax. We make a phone call. We dilly dally and we get it done in three hours. Same assignment could have done in an hour without the tax, without the dilly down, because we know we only have one hour heads down and we do it. Um, There's a lot of flexibility within the capabilities of a human being. And it's just a matter of setting out um, clearly the expectations and the goals. And something that you touched on before break was, you know, talking about, you know, even if in the startup, sometimes you have this mentality of I'm doing it, I'm working around the clock. So you have to also. And Again, drilling down to some of the the earlier points, it's all about productivity. Is the person that you're expecting to do all of this stuff delivering what they need to do? Are you as a leader, uh, you know, pulling out the best work from that person? If you expect them to be on 24-7, you're not going to get their best work. You know, speaking personally at our culture at Village, we've always been a remote shop. We have a fully dispersed workforce, always have. We were the cool kids before it was, you know, the cool thing to do and we have people who work on different schedules and now we're in a hiring phase and sometimes people ask me you know well what are the hours what is in and it's hard to always articulate even for us and I think that's what certain companies are dealing with and so for me my answer has kind of always been 24 7 sort of like meaning Mm -hmm. you know we're flexible like you said unless you're you need to be during work hours making sales calls or handling customer service you know where there actually have to be set hours it's a little bit of let's talk about the needs let's talk about the goals and when do you work best and you know yeah even if you're telling me you want to work from 6 a.m to 10 a.m and get on again at 4 p.m to 8 p.m i'm gonna bother you at 12 noon probably by a tax and that has to be okay you know yeah. but at the yeah. same time i'm going to respect the fact that at 12 p.m is when you're going to be doing your yoga and being there for you so you can be more productive in the afternoon uh and so we have to better define our cultures. And I think we need to take our handbooks and really rip them up and start fresh and start with our mission statements, start about how we want to describe our team and culture. And from there, pull out the policies that make sense to create that. And once everybody's on board with the same mission, then I think we're going to see incredible results. It's it's so spot on. We we talk a lot about culture and you know, often I'll say there's no such thing as a good or bad culture, right? People people will make a determination on whether it's good or bad based on their values, their belief systems, and are they in the right place, right? And so it's it's judgmental. But there's a different way of thinking about it. In a way, there is a good or a bad culture, and and the 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 defining point is is whether it's intentional, right? Yeah. To me, a, 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 an intentional culture is a good culture and unintentional culture is a bad because you never know what you're going to get. And so this, this concept of starting with defining the culture that you want and understanding that these concepts of, of family and, and EDI and some of these other things do come very much into play as to, to the descriptor of your culture. 
And then you have to be very intentional. Uh, one of the things I loved, uh, one of my favorite authors, Patrick Lencioni, uh, writes, he talks about the four obsessions of a, of a leader. I think it's the book is Extraordinary Executive or something. And, you know, he says, you know, obsession number one is building and maintaining a cohesive team. But then, then it's, it's create organizational clarity, over-communicate the clarity, and reinforce the clarity with your human systems. Well, that's what you just described. The clarity is, is what culture do we want? Now, let's go and communicate it, communicate it, communicate it, communicate it, communicate it again, and reinforce that through the things like the manual, make sure your mission statement is aligned and your purpose statement, all these things, all this stuff has to be aligned to get there. It's, it, it's the key to driving the, the right culture. At the end of the day, though, I'm, I'm a believer like you, if, if the culture doesn't take into account all the needs of the people who are working or that you want to have working for you, you're going to fail. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when you look at larger organizations, it sometimes becomes a game, uh, you know, the childhood game of telephone where HR puts out a memo or tries to communicate the message and it gets passed along. And by the time you get to the very bottom rung of leadership, they're doing their own thing. You know, something has gotten lost along the way. And what Village does is we use a SaaS platform to automate guidance managers. Excellent. So every manager, regardless of their level within an organization, is receiving the same message of how they should be uh, supporting their team members, which is something that is so meaningful to me because I know we're able to make a difference. And we're able to create a, a company where culture actually meets policy. And I think that's what's lacking at many organizations is the culture does not meet, meet the policy. Yeah. And, and when that occurs, they all, the leadership almost becomes hypocritical because, you know, they yes. say one thing, but the system supports something different. And you just touched on another aspect that's important in today's world. It's not just... Um, it's really not just getting out there and talking about it. You do have to have the support features and the technical um, support yes. features with the tech behind it. And that's one of the things that you guys do. You talk about a, a SaaS platform. Um, you know, a lot of our listeners may not exactly know what that is, but can you maybe describe in some greater detail um, when you talk about that platform and how it works, how it supports so that as people are looking at this, even if they have to do something, let's call it a little more manual. I mean, there are ways that you can do this with, with tech. If, you don't, if, if you're a small business, you don't have the money to go into a big platform. There are lots of ways you can activate, but can you talk a little bit about how that platform works and keeps everybody informed and reinforces what you're doing? Sure. So SAS, spelled S-A-A-S, is an acronym for Software as a Service. It's basically using a technology tool to automate and make something happen. So what Village makes happen is manager guidance uh, that delivers uh, knowledge and leadership and talking points and what to do's and what to say's. And, you know, we tell managers when they should be checking in on their employees and how to do so um, during their employees and team members' individual journeys. So if someone's having a baby, um, it we automate guidance. The platform automatically pings the manager. Hey, Sarah's now seven months pregnant. This is a great time to sit down with Sarah and talk about um, crafting that ever so important transition plan. Boom, here's the template. Boom, here's your talking points. Boom, here's the copy that you need to put into an email to reach out to Sarah to make that happen. So it's putting together standard operating procedures throughout um, throughout all life journeys that an employee might undergo and assisting a manager on how to do so. So if you take a step back, uh, you know, a couple several years ago, we were doing this on a consultant basis. We would go in, we would have a webinar, webinar or be in person and, you know, talk to a room full of managers on what they should be doing and what they should be saying and what's not allowed under the law and what's discriminatory. And you know what? It goes in one ear and out the other because it's not relevant. It's not delivered just in time. And their employees may or may not be going through that journey at that moment. So all, using a technology platform to automate all of this, we're able to deliver guidance throughout the organization to managers just in time. If, you know, Amy and Bob are adopting a baby, their manager is going to receive guidance on how uh, to support that adoption process. You know, we're going to let the manager uh, know what they should be doing, what they should be saying, that they need to understand that, you know, Amy and Bob may need to travel internationally to visit the orphanage. 
that, you know, when you get the okay, there's not a nine month buildup. How do you plan for a transition around that type of family beginning? Uh, so whatever the journey is, Village is able to provide automated guidance. And so that's the meaning behind the SaaS platform. It's just simplifying and creating standard operating procedures on what managers should be saying and doing when they interact with employees who are encountering very, very personal journeys. And those standard procedures um, really become the basis of all trainings, right? I mean, you know, it's, it's, it, 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 it allows you to bridge the design of the culture to the execution of the culture. And that's the key. And, and, and the, the, the kind of the SaaS platform, I mean, again, you can go out and buy something, but you can create your own if, if as long as you've got somebody who's going to watch it. Um, you know, it's, it, it doesn't have to be complicated, but it should support what you're doing. And that's one of those human systems that we talk about quite a bit. Absolutely. I'm a big believer in systemizing uh, procedures, especially now that so many companies are remote. We need to have things more systemized than ever before. And that's going to be an important driver uh, for culture, for just the cohesiveness of culture and bringing things together. So everybody is operating on the same page. Everybody knows how to communicate with one another, when to Slack, when to email, when to Zoom, mm-hmm. right? We need, to ha- we need to understand how things are expected to work within the organization where we live. It's probably a whole nother show on just picking the right ones for you because there are so many of them out there. I, I was telling somebody the other day, so we went, we went virtual back um, almost 15 years ago, um, mostly because, you know, we were doing client work remote and we were just like, why are we paying for office space when nobody's ever here? Right. Why, why do that? And so the, the go-to back then go to, it was go to meeting, right? You could do, we could do uh-huh. these video and now there are just so many options. Here we are, you know, for the folks that are listening, we're utilizing zoom right now. So Debbie and I can see each other and, and there's 20 other ways to do this. Um, yeah, it's probably a whole nother show on picking your technology, but having said that we are kind of to the end of our time. Um, so, uh, the website, let's, let's spell it for everybody. If they're interested in checking out village, go to V-I-L-L-Y-G-E.com. And please follow us on social media. We are at Village, uh, same spelling, V-I-L-L-Y-G-E on all platforms. Yeah, I'm going to as well. I, this, is, this, is a, this is a very, very important topic. This is where the world is going, and we're going to have to figure this out. And you know, if any of you are leaders of organizations and you're not thinking that this is important stuff, um, you're going to find yourself behind. So you, know, you don't have to be throwing bonuses and raises. Obviously, you got to pay pay people fair rates. But when it comes to all this other stuff, the world has shifted and um, people want to have a good life. They want to be able to work. They, they, people want to do good work and they want to go to a company that feels like they, they value them. And part of this is also ensuring that, that people can live a life as well. So Debbie, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much, Chris. It was a pleasure to be here. It was great having you. And um, maybe we can talk again sometime soon. Until um, until next week, everybody. Um, hope you have a great week. And we've got another good show coming up. So I look forward to having you with us uh, soon. Take care. Thank you for joining Chris Elias for this week's edition of Transformative Experts. We hope you'll tune in again next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And catch our weekly replay on the Voice America Influencers Channel, Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a good week.